Hello and welcome to the XNMO Wine Co. podcast. I am David Clark. This episode, uh, I interview and have a chat with uh, Tyrol Maiberg of Justenberg Winery in uh, Pahl, W.O. Uh, he's a fifth generation uh, Maiberg on the farm. Uh, he and his wife, uh, Annette, now farm organically. They farm their grapes organically. And they started the process in 2003 and then were fully certified in 2010, so a, um, an eight-year uh, journey from first steps to certification. Organic viticulture is still a very rare practice in South Africa, even rarer that they get certified. They choose to get certified using the EU and US uh, regulations because they're the export markets they want to put into and they don't really see the need for um, uh, to do a domestic uh, certification. Um, we chat, touch on a little bit of the history of Justenberg, um, the firm, uh, obviously five generations plus. Um, he's got some really good information about what happened bef- on the farm before that his family came over. We chat about why they went to, um, to, to organic viticulture, challenges that they faced or they still face in terms of farming, um, in terms of you know, dry years versus wet years. They also produce a botrytis wine, uh, which obviously has its own set of challenges and also the challenges of actually getting certified and the costs of that. There's a lot of people who in South Africa who talk about oh, we farm organically um, but they aren't certified so it's uh, interesting to hear his take on that kind of thing um, and even how they're fighting virus, uh, leaf roll virus in the vineyards without um, uh, pesticides and herbicides. So really interesting chat um, I hope you find it as interesting as I did and I give you Tyrrell Myberg from Eustenberg. Tyrrell Myberg, welcome. Uh, we're sitting in at the winery in, on your farm. Uh, it is raining, so if we hear some rain in the background, please excuse us. Nice winter's day out in Pole. How long have you, your family been on this farm? Uh, so my great-great-grandfather uh, purchased the farm in 1879. So, okay. yeah, fifth generation. And who did he purchase it off? Was it, off, was it sort of like a... Yeah, sort of. No, well, at that stage, it was owned by uh, the first title deed is in sixteen ninety six. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. So there were two or three families, you know, on the farm before mm-hmm. before him. Um, the Burgers. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, the first guy was a was it was it was German, mm-hmm. and he had worked for the Dutch East India Company. Okay. And he would have retired mm-hmm. um, from service anywhere, mm-hmm. probably, and. Uh, as was quite common, he then kind of got a title deed for this property. Yep. Um, he was married to the widow of the owner of Steenberg. So I think when um, they married, they moved across and bought this. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So what I want to do, what I want to chat to you about particularly was, I mean, you farm organically now in the vineyards and have mm. done for how many years have you been certified to do that? So the first full certification was 2000 and. 10, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it goes a long way back. I mean, mm. in about 2003, we started with some vineyards mm-hmm. and gradually we converted the whole farm. Okay. Um, and so, it, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and originally we didn't, you know, we didn't follow the, you know, do all the kind of the red tape and go through all the bureaucracy. We just mm. kind of did it. Okay. Um, so, what, what, obviously, organic grape farming is still fairly rare in, in South Africa. Mm. Um, People, a lot of people talk about organic practices, but they're not mm. organically certified. So we want to mm. touch on the 
mm. the differences there and obviously the mm. pros and cons of getting certified in terms of costs and yeah. unnecessary, as you say, red tape and but yeah. positives as well of saying, well, we actually do it. We don't just give it lip service. Mm. But maybe if you bring us up to speed with what was happening on the farm over those 200 years yeah. Um, yeah. or 150 years yeah. Yeah. Um, to bring us up to 2003 mm. when you mm. wanted to make a change. So... What was happening when um, your great-grandfather... Yeah, okay, well, I mean, I can actually go a couple of steps back. I mean, we, we've got kind of a little snippets of information. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't you know, have all the, all the detail. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, one thing we're sure of, that it was mixed farming, you know, all the way through, including, you know, up until now, we still, you know, practice mixed, mixed farming to a certain extent. And, and as, by that you mean sort of farming different crops yeah, and different livestock crops and, and dairy farming okay. and sheep and mm-hmm. um, you know even tobacco later on. Mm. So there are some records on the farm of wine production in about the 1750s. So that we've, we've got some old journals in, in, in the oldest house on the farm, and uh, we know that uh, Pontac, um, the red grape Pontac. Wine was made from Pontac, and mm-hmm. it was sold to merchants in the in the Cape, as well as uh, Muscat d'Alexandre. Um, so they refer specifically to those two grapes. Okay. I mean, there might have been other things as well. So, so early on, you know, that would have been you know integral to to what was what was done at the end. But the wine wasn't actually bottled, you know, in South Africa anywhere. Okay. Um, so it was shipped off in barrels. Yeah, it would have been, you know transported to the Cape Town Harbour, probably in barrels, and the barrels would have got, you know, rolled onto the ships or consolidated into bigger, you know, batches and... Mm-hmm. And then off to... And then off mainly to the to the UK. Okay. We, don't, we don't really have all that Okay, that's that all detail. just... Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. okay. And, they're, so, and they're two pretty characterful grapes. So exactly. Like they're not going to be confused with, yeah. you know, other things like Stian could have been, for no. example, could have been a lot of different things at the but time. You know, but you think Musket and Pontac are... Yeah, pretty identifiable. They're, they're pretty identifiable. Mm. It's quite, it's quite, quite interesting. But okay. I mean, yeah, there would probably would have been other grapes as well. Yeah. Okay. And who knows? Maybe the Pontac included something else. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, I think yeah. sometimes things were a little bit kind of hazy. Buyer beware. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Cool. All right. So, and what, what's the next sort of? And then the next, thing? you know, after that, um, you know, the I've, I've got records sort of from 1904. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so by then, obviously, my family was in, involved, mm-hmm. and we know that they by then they had Sinso, uh, or they would have called it um, Hermitech or Hermitage. Um, so that was definitely kind of integral to to the whole farming practice, um, or on the vineyard side anyway. Um, and I also know that the winery doors were. Were, were pretty much closed in 1947. So we think pretty much from the 1750s until 1947, there would have been, you know, winemaking, which was fairly uninterrupted. Mm. Uh, so for those 200 years, there, yeah, was, yeah, there was grapes I, grown on the farm and wine made exactly. on the farm from those grapes. And it would have, you know, if you look at the history of, of, of the industry in South Africa, depending on who the colonial power was and whether... Uh, the British had a treaty with France, which meant they took wine or not. The mm-hmm. you know the, the industry had these ebbs and flows, and mm-hmm. and I'm sure what happened at Jusenberg probably mirrored that. So yeah, okay. Production increased and decreased. Phylloxera probably was wiped out for a few years and then mm-hmm. started again. Yeah. Um, but 
but that so that was quite a interesting period. So nineteen forty seven, end of the Second World War, or the war had ended two years earlier. And why did why did they close? Do you know? Or yes, you know? yes, yes. So so what happened was the the um, the government, the new government, which was now the Nationalist Party government, oh, yes. which had yeah. taken over I from yeah, from just Smuts. Like the same time. Um, yeah, okay. So they embarked on kind of an industrialization process, which included the wine industry. And uh, they reckoned it would be a good idea for, for the co-ops to kind of take over production. I see. So that everything could be modernized. Mm -hmm. But there was a little bit of an ulterior motive as mm -hmm. well. And that was, um, there was a bit of a prohibitionist movement. Okay. Yeah. So there was a bit of a voter appeasement. Exactly. And they yeah. reckoned, look, if we had every district had a co-op, that would be easier for us to control mm -hmm. versus, you know, a hundred farmers in the neighborhood each making their own wine. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I think, look, I think a lot of some farmers probably bought into it, but I mean, you didn't really have much choice either. Yeah. Um, okay. KWV had the monopoly for buying all kind of excess wine. Nobody wanted to sit on excess wine in you know bad times and yeah. So, my so four, government policy sort of yeah, dictated that, that was. Just, yeah. So my, my okay. great grandfather and his brother, mm -hmm. so the Myberg brothers, mm -hmm. they had been farming together, and they made the decision to quit winemaking and they they closed the doors. Okay, and then obviously you're still growing uh, grape growing is still um, yeah. Happening. So we carried on with grape growing. Um, selling grapes to, to the local co-op. So when did your father take over from your grandfather? So my father took over, well, would have been in the mid-60s. Mid he took over the, the grape growing. Okay, what was his name? Philip. Philip. Philip oh, of course it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so all these stories and names are going to come through in the, yeah, yeah. You know, in, in the, in the labels later on. Okay, so he uh -huh. took over in the mid-60s? Yeah. And did he just sort of continue on with what your grandfather and his brother yeah, had done? Yeah, so we real, you know, yeah. sold grapes to the local co-op. Mm. There was a bit of an income there. He had a dairy, so you're selling milk. Okay. Um, How many cows did he have, you know? So at the peak, I think we were milking about 80. We were milking about 80 cows. Okay, so I'm assuming yeah. the property was a bit larger then? Yeah, point, yeah. Or? Well, we, we, the property's still quite large, actually. Yeah. So we've, we've got 30 hectares under vineyard at the moment, but... Mm. Um, the, the properties we farm together are about 200 hectares. Oh, ah, okay, right. Yeah. I was the only concentrate on the vines. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So where are we? So selling grapes to the co-op. Yeah. yeah. So that, that, that's and what so happened from... 60s and 70s? Yeah. And you were born sort of in the 70s at some point? I was born early 70s, yeah. 71. And when did you sort of become cognizant of what was actually happening on the farm in terms of detail? And oh, you know, you know, growing up, it was a matter of you know, getting on your bicycles and mm. going up to the dairy and drinking milk out of the you know, tanks and mm. swimming in the farm dams and fishing. And, yeah. you know, during harvest time, obviously, there'd be sticky grapes and you'd go and pick grapes. Mm -hmm. um, you'd be, obviously, you'd be wearing, aware of living on a farm, but in terms of cognizant of the farming decisions being mm. made and yeah. why things happen, and yeah, when did that all start to... That all, that all started really more kind of high school, probably okay. 14, 15, 16, yep. somewhere around there. Okay. And that's when... I, so sort of mid to late 80s yeah. now, is that probably about Yes, right? exactly, yeah. yeah. I finished high school in 80, 85. Okay. Sorry, sorry, 89, where I'm a <laughs> child genius. <laughs> Need a glass of wine. Yeah. So, that, so, so I guess in those sort of teenage years... There, uh, there were a lot of conversations around the, the dinner table and we'd have a little mm -hmm. glass of wine every now and again and it was 
you know, my dad would say, well, maybe one day we should start making wine again. Mm-hmm. He, he actually served as, as one of the um, directors of the local co-op, so he you know, was involved a little bit on the selling of wine as well. Okay. And, um, although he was kind of anti the system in a way. But so here, what, where was the local co-op for you here? Simons Flay. Simons Flay, okay. Mm. And so when did you take over? When was yeah, that Yeah, so then obviously university and at university, although I didn't study wine. I, you did I, philosophy, did you? I did philosophy, yeah. yeah. I got a degree in political philosophy, mm-hmm. which means I was you know, spending a lot of time drinking red wine, yeah, yeah. talking and thinking. P- pondering. <laughs> <laughs> which is the, the kind of the basis of my career. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I, I guess ending up with that degree um, and then and then, and then also traveling, um, I spend a bit of time traveling uh, at some, uh, some other stage, uh, probably about around about 93, 94, I decided that wine, wine would be an interesting career. That's, that's when I made the move. So Okay. And your older brother? My older brother is a lawyer. Yeah. So he was never interested in the farming? Or? Yeah. No, he was interested as well, mm. although he had graduated with a law degree and had mm. gone down that, that path. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he is still involved. Was there, um, was there pressure on you at that point to sort of... There was never any pressure. No? Okay. Yeah, that's, that's just cool. not the way we were brought up. It yeah, okay. was kind of... Did you, you didn't feel any pressure? There was none in sort of... No, you know, Self-implied, not even... No. Yeah, okay. No. Well, that's good. Yeah. I think my parents were always, you know, to find something you want to do and... Yeah. And, and then go for it. Okay. Um, and then sort of maybe by chance or not really by chance, but... Um, it, it turns out that all the siblings are involved in the family business mm. to, yeah. to a certain extent. Yeah, we've better discuss yeah. how that's changed. Mm-hmm. It's a very different business now than it was. Yeah, it's a yeah. business. So, 93-94, you made the decision, you know, wine yeah. is your thing. Is it not? Mm. Well, did you, when you say wine, did, were, you talking, uh, is that, were you talking about uh, making wine on the farm? Was that what your mm. decision was? Or was it farming was your decision? I think making wine rather than okay. farming. Yeah. And although the idea, you know, that I could make wine on the farm was yes. was in the back of my mind. Okay. I really just thought well, a career as in in winemaking mm-hmm. would be good. Yeah. And who inspired that? I mean, who? I mean, what? Because obviously it hadn't happened for mm. you know forty years at this point, mm. Um, mm. or forty five years. Yeah. So was there someone else doing it that you saw? Hang on, it is possible. Or look, I to be honest, I. I don't really have a Damascus moment, mm. although I can remember spending, I spent a year in the in the US in 1995. Um, I was actually doing a lot of triathlon at that stage, so I was mm-hmm. out there training and doing some races and spending time in California and kind of seeing wineries um, did sort of make me think that Stellenbosch and where I grew up is quite a beautiful place, mm. you know, the, the farm is beautiful. And um, kind of, uh, you know, thought about the vineyards and, mm. and I don't know, it just made me realize actually I'm sitting on a bit of a, an opportunity. Yep. And to go back to the farm eventually would be a good idea. Okay, um, cool. And so it, was, it was a pretty transitional time in South Africa at the exactly, time as well. So probably yeah. there was a lot of yeah, yeah. Uh, change happening. So any, mm. maybe anything seemed possible at that point or totally. a, lot, a lot more seemed possible than yeah. even a few years before. Yeah. So look, my, my dad always had this um, kind of dream. Um, so although he enjoyed farming, he, he wanted to add value to whatever um, farming you know he did. So he didn't mm-hmm. really want to just sell milk or just sell pigs or just sell grapes. It was 
Mm. It was about taking it to that next step. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I think also looking at the vineyards and selling grapes to the co-op, it was quite obvious that there wasn't really a long-term future that there. Right. Um, in terms of business? In terms of the business. Cost model. coming in versus cost exactly. coming out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or money coming mm. in and money coming out. Yeah, okay. Mm. And so, when did you go to... Um, yeah, so anyway, I came back from my travels. Yep. I enrolled at Elsenburg. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, embarked on a, you know, on the whole sort of winemaking mm-hmm. Um, when did you graduate from Elsenburg? So I finished in 97. So for those who don't know what Elsenburg is? So Elsenburg is an agricultural college mm-hmm. um, and it's it's close to Stellenbosch, on the outskirts of Stellenbosch. And you can either do sort of a certificate course or a diploma course. It's typically either two years or three years. Um, and the emphasis is a little bit more on the practical side rather than on the academic side, if mm-hmm. you compare it to university. It's more farming rather than yes. science. Exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Would that be a Although fair? there's a little bit of, sure little bit of involved, yeah. But the idea is that you can walk in the door, walk out the door, sorry, yes. at the end of your course and that you can immediately take on a hands-on role. Okay. Uh, that you don't just have the academic knowledge, but mm-hmm. you've, you've got a bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm. So 97. So, so 97. Did you, did you go make one around or did and you come back to the farm straight I away? And then I spent a, a harvest uh, just down the road at a winery called Valera. Mm-hmm. Uh, they specialize in, in bubbly. Um, and in the same year, I, I spent a few months in, in France, um, in, the, in the south, near a town called Carcassonne. Um, tiny little village actually called, called Limou, where they make... Um, Blanket de Limou, so it's mm-hmm. a sparkling wine. Uh, they also make actually Pinot and Chardonnay. Yeah. Um, but as, you know, I travelled to Alsace and I spent some time in uh, Saint-Emilion as well. And uh, you know, I, I made some friends in the Loire Valley, so I spent a little bit of time in the Loire Valley. Okay. And was this all on the same trip, sort of? That was all on the same around? trip. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Nice, nice long trip. And so, when was your first harvest? Here at Jürsenberg after your Elsenberg, yeah. So after the Elsenberg, um, look in, in 1999, I made five barrels of so you started straight away, you didn't sort of, yeah. yeah okay. And we were you given the keys to the Cadillac in 99? Were you in charge mm-hmm. then, or was your was your dad still, yeah? So I was actually still working, so I, so you know, I worked two harvests in 98, mm-hmm. and then in 99, once again, I worked two harvests, okay. um, another local winery called Demeyer, which mm-hmm. is my neighbor, and then I spent time in California mm-hmm. in, a, in a winery in Sonoma Valley. Um, but during that 99 year, I managed to uh, you know, make five barrels of Chardonnay at okay. one of my neighbor's wineries. Uh, okay. Using Eustenberg fruit? Exactly. Or? Yes, using Eustenberg yeah. fruit. Okay. So I guess that's the, the start. Okay. Um, but the and, and during that whole time, well, during 99, I had, you know, I went for some job interviews and, yeah, I was actually on the verge of working. I kind of got offers from, sounds pretty fancy, offers. I mean, you're kind of a seller rat. You take what you can get in a way and you're going to be <laughs> putting pipes along. But I, I kind of had yeah, to make a big, I had a big ho- call. Hose draggers. Yes, yeah. hose draggers. So <laughs> I would either, um, you know, take a, take a job or else start my own thing mm-hmm. and I decided to actually then 
start making wine at Jusenberg. Okay, and what sort, what can um, what facilities were mm. here? So there's just an old shed. Yeah, um, which which was originally built as a dairy, and then it had been operating. Um, actually, we'd been farming pigs in the building for many years. Mm -hmm. um, so were the pigs still there when you took no, over? No, they, to, okay, they had they'd left by then, okay. luckily. Yeah. Turned into uh, sausage. Yeah. And uh, I, I borrowed some money from my dad, and um, I think it was about, it was 300,000 rand, I can mm -hmm. remember that. And that's, I started so my winery with... A fair bit of cash in yeah. 2000. Well... Still a fair bit of cash, but yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'm not the yeah. Kitata winery, really. Yeah. And what do you, and the vineyards? What was the state of the vineyards at that point? And the what vineyards vineyard? were uh, there was quite a bit of old vine shinnin. Okay. So you, is it still sort of thirty hectares under vine then? Or? It was actually a bit a bit more. Okay. And um, I immediately actually started pulling out quite a bit. All right. Yeah. So we had um, Crucian Blanc or SA Riesling. We mm -hmm. had about seven hectares. Mm -hmm. You didn't see much of a future I didn't there. Didn't see much of a future there. Mm -hmm. um, we had some old vine Cabernet, but it was very virused. Okay. So we removed that as well, mm -hmm. um, and we started a replanting program. Okay. So how much did you pull out? Do you remember, like roughly? It's probably about twelve hectares. Right. Okay. Yeah. And did you have to sort of let the the land be furrow for a little yeah, bit? Yeah, to let it lie furrow. So you didn't just sort of um, yeah. graft over. You sort no, of uprooted and yeah, grafting is is quite difficult with old with old vineyards. Okay. Yeah. And as you said before, you started in sort of 03, the organic sort of yes. pathway. What, yes. Why? What was the, the yeah. impetus behind that? Mm. So look, uh, by, by then, obviously, I'd been you know, participating in, well, doing a lot of tasting uh, during my time in France. You know, I tested and, and visited a lot of wineries. And it was quite clear that to me by then that, um, I mean, I guess as it should be with any winemaker, is that, the beauty of wine is this very special link between sight and the product, mm -hmm. um, and and that if you really kind of respect the sight and, and treat the soil and the environment well, then ultimately that'll come through in the in the wine. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think I just you know by visiting other wineries and also by just tasting wines. Um, which had a reputation, maybe not for being organic or biodynamic specifically, but mm -hmm. being made by someone who, uh, you know, wasn't just using a lot of chemicals, but was kind of working mm. the land and working carefully. Yeah. Um, there's a difference in my mind, and maybe I'm getting this wrong, between reliance on chemicals and using them judiciously, I suppose, to mm. improve your situation in the vineyards. You've obviously got a different opinion. Or yeah, look, I... You know, I think the reality is that you know, if I look at my neighbors and you know, look at people in the industry, it's at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of a business and mm -hmm. you need to make a profit. And mm. I think a judicious use of, 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 of fertilizers and um, probably herbicides and so on will, you know, allow you to, you know, have high enough yields to, to run a profitable business. Mm -hmm. And um, I think you could still, you know, manage your farm um, in other ways that, that, that help you to look after nature. So yeah. I, I don't, I'm not like judgmental about no, it. No, 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 no. Yeah, I wasn't mm. trying to imply that. Um, mm, mm. But that's not something you want to... Yeah, that's, that's just not something that, yeah. I, that I want to do. I, know. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of great wines that are... Uh, that aren't organic, and, yeah. you know, or aren't biodynamic, or um, so. Do you see? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm trying to sort of paraphrase you to better understand the, mm. the mentality at that time, and it may have changed mm, now. Mm. 
were you thinking that um, with the organic approach was going to make decision making easier for you in a sense like you, mm. didn't, you had less options mm. so you mm. had to obviously get mm. better fruit into the winery because yeah is that is that am I getting that yeah look or, or I, I mean if I, if, I, if I take a step back I do mm. have a sort of a, a, a personal maybe value system which mm-hmm. I think is shared by my wife Anetta and mm-hmm. you know we do a lot of the work together we work together and she's got a, um, a bit more of a science background she studied plant pathology but you know, she's very much a, you know, really enjoys nature and mm-hmm. she spends a lot of time cooking and really thinking about what she's doing. And yeah. anyway, so the, I think you, well, I, I, I would like to live my ideals and bring them kind of into everything that I'm doing mm. and, and not separate, you know, work from the home life, mm. you know, and I think we all need to be careful about the environment and we need to, yep. we need to, you know, bring that into our working lives as well. Yep. So and you want to leave the sort of the, the land in a, exactly in a good and yes. healthy state for so, your sons or whomever wants to uh, take over. I mean, for everyone, not yeah. just for my sons. Well, no, but, yeah, so yeah. The next generations, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and do you think that farming organically provides a, a straighter line between the farm, between the land and what's in the glass? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So for me, it's it's like a sort of like a tool. So okay. on the one hand, I think you know I want to do what is right, full stop. Mm-hmm. Same reason that I don't drive a Hummer, because mm-hmm. um, I think it uses a lot of fuel and it's kind of unnecessary. And so you know I bring that kind of ideal into winemaking. But yes, I think there's a it's a tool that allows me to to bring the soil into the glass. Yeah. Yeah, um, to bring the place into the exactly yeah, to okay. bring the whole site into the into the glass. Okay, cool. And it's sort of I think that straightens, sort of shines more light on that as well. Yeah. So in O, what were you, what were the what were you doing in O two that you weren't doing? What were the first changes you made? Yeah. Or, so I guess the first really big thing is uh, the use of herbicides, Roundup, okay. uh, you know, and herbicides in general. Um, so it's just to kill weeds. Which That's is what, just to kill weeds, yeah. and it's it's very effective. It makes your management a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is killing weeds important? Well, it it removes competition from from the vines, mm-hmm. and especially young vines. Um, if you remove the competition in our environment, which can get very kind of dry and competitive, especially in la- in late. Um, mid to late summer mm. by removing that competition your yeah. vines just grow more vigorously yeah. stop. So it's quite dry here is what you're saying yeah so just yeah. maybe maybe explain to us where we're sitting i mean in terms of the, mm, mm, the landscape mm, and mm. so we're in so look, southern pole w yeah so there? we i would say we the sort of southwestern corner of of Pal. um just across the road from us is Stellenbosch vineyard um and as the crow flies about six kilometers away durbanville starts so the you know the pile is quite a big appellation. Um, mm-hmm. I guess compared to most of the, of the other pile sites, we we probably our rainfall is a bit higher. We're okay. a little bit cooler. So the, the major sort of people when people think about pile, they probably think about Niederberg and mm. the other side of the yeah. the mountain. So how 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 is it different to there? Yeah. So we of... yeah look, it's I mean, it's so difficult to to generalize about pile because mm. okay Niederberg, I mean it's fairly kind of flat I guess mm-hmm. um, although we're not on the mountain either so it's rolling yeah. hills mm-hmm. um, you get areas of pile which are along the river banks which have deep alluvial soils along the Berg River and we're not mm-hmm. that either um, 
I don't know. We we we, we kind of if you if you imagine where the the granites from the Simonsburg and the Malmesbury shales kind of meet. Okay. Um, that's sort of where we. So sort of, yeah, where the, we, where the we meeting are. point of Stellenbosch and Swatland exactly. almost. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so so not not huge water retention in the soils. Yeah, it's kind of a funny thing. We actually have quite a humid environment um, uh, from late autumn through to probably about November mm-hmm. and there's quite a bit of humidity and you can actually see it on our vines there's mm-hmm. quite a lot of moss growing okay. on the vines yeah. um, we do have a bit of um, you know disease pressure which is related to high humidity areas mm-hmm. um, but our rainfall you know is isn't radical we, we we have about 650 millimeters a year 615 or 650, 650. yeah okay and compare that to some areas of the Swatland, which would be closer to 400. 400 yeah. um, and if you travel from where we are towards the Simonsburg mountain, another three kilometers, you start mm. you know, moving in excess of 800 millimeters. Yeah. And there are parts of Stellenbosch that have over 1,000. Mm. Yeah, up the valleys and things. Yeah. Yeah. So, no herbicides. So what were you doing? Were you just letting the weeds grow, or what was the plan? <laughs> 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 yeah, well... Were you planning cover crops to sort of... Yeah, so in retrospect, maybe it was a little bit of a philosophical decision. And mm. in practice, it was quite difficult to um, to implement. But uh, at that stage, we were doing a lot of just work by hand. Okay. Uh, picking up a, a shovel or a fork and, and removing weeds. So weeding with a hoe hand. and a... Yeah, yeah okay. just, just trying hand to, weeding. Just yeah. trying to keep the area around the vines a bit, a bit clear. Mm-hmm. What time of year were you doing that? So, so, so that happens kind of towards the end of winter mm-hmm. and leading into spring. Okay, so before so, um, yeah, bud so burst. Yeah, so just and, before bud burst okay. and just after bud burst. Yeah. That's, that's pretty critical mm-hmm. um, because the combination of the, you know, the, the, the cover crops and the weeds at that stage will be you know, covering your cordon. Yeah, I mean, South Africa, we, during the winters, the grass really grows. Mm. We don't have, in this area, we don't have, frost that's killing the grass we don't have snow lying on the ground that's killing the grass mm-hmm. so it just grows like crazy it looks like a, and, uh, a wheat field yeah area. you can walk into a bushfire vineyard now one of my bushfire vineyards and you can hardly see the vines you can't see the vines yeah <laughs> it's like, hello where are you <laughs> mm. anyway so yeah, nine, yeah so, so 2003 is yeah. when we started on a small scale yes um, so you didn't obviously do the whole farm at the same time no, no we didn't okay. we started with one Sierra vineyard okay um, Any reason why you chose that? Or? It was on quite a rocky kind of site. Okay. Um, and, um, How does that help or hinder? It, it, it helps because you get kind of less um, weed growth or less you know, growth. So or, less fertile. Yeah, it's a little bit... Um, the, the, sort of the top less vigorous. 20 to 30 centimeters um, of the soil, because it's quite rocky, it, it doesn't encourage sort of shallow root growth. So okay. most of your weeds have got fairly shallow roots, so they, they tend mm-hmm. not to grow as vigorously in those soils. Okay. Okay. And so was that the only sort of big step you took in 2003? or? Yeah. So that and obviously um, moving away from systemic you know, pesticides. And how are you uh, combating Yeah. So that? Yeah. So anyway, if you go all the way through to what we're doing now, I mean... Um, so organic farming is in by no means kind of free range. So you mm. do still spray your vineyards, mm-hmm. but we're limited to the use of you know certain things that we term as fairly soft. Mm. One is sulfur. We use sulfur in the vineyards, mm-hmm. and the idea is that sulfur is a is an element that comes out of the soil, 
mm. and it gets reabsorbed by the soil. Okay. Um, and that's you know pretty widespread, and especially for powdery mildew, that's fairly good. Okay. For downy mildew, um, which is the, uh, I guess the major problem we have in in this area and in South mm. Africa in general, you the one thing we do is we we try and keep our canopies quite open, mm-hmm. so make sure the leaves are all exposed to the wind and the sun and Getting some air movement through and, and, yeah. yeah, so that's one of the first things we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do use a little bit of copper, uh, but, but very, very little amounts of that. Are you restricted yeah. on that? Or? Yeah, look, so the, I don't even know what the limit is at the moment, but I think it's somewhere around four kilograms per hectare okay. per year. And, and we, we, we work on about a quarter of that. And has, is that worked out on, on area of land or area of plant, um, number of plants? Area, or? area of land. Okay. Yeah. And how, how are these things sort of, um, defined or who, yeah. who look so they're kind of getting into the nitty-gritty of things but you yeah. get it's kind of the point though yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the standards the organic kind of rules or legislation mm. are set by the mainly by the eu so we comply to the european legislation mm-hmm. um, but where did they i mean organic farming is what is it saying that it was farming pre a certain date of, <laughs> or what was, how, how does that, yeah. how, do the, how do the rules get defined in the first place? That's a good question. But Since, <laughs> yeah, so I, don't, I just don't know how arbitrary they are or. Um, look, I, I think that there's a general consensus with, mm. you know, a lot of the, 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 the practices. Mm. I'm not sure how far go, back it goes, but probably back to about the 1950s, most of the rules were sort of established. Mm-hmm. And um, you know they they're now part of European legislation. Yeah. So it's and the same in the USA, the same in Australia actually, um, and they do differ from place to place slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we stick to the European and to the to, to the US okay. legislation. You stick to both. We stick to both. So you yeah. have to comply with both. We have to comply to both. Yeah. yeah. Right. Is that because you want to sell? We you, want to, you want to label them as organic? Um, yes. On in the label markets. in both markets. In both okay. markets. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the and the what's the difference? Look, maybe to take a step backwards, yeah, yeah. I would say the whole emphasis of organic farming is mm. is on the soil. Mm. So so the the idea is that by by looking after the condition mm-hmm. and the fertility of your soil yes. and by constantly improving it mm-hmm. you are creating a atmosphere for your vines to to kind of live a healthy life <laughs> yeah so, so like they're, sustainable they're, in that sense yes and, and and they can actually build up immunity and and by doing that they will therefore be more resistant to the common pests and to adversity yeah ad- ad- adversity and, yeah. and does that do you think that you've had better resistance to yeah. disease and pests since you've started this process yeah for yeah. sure yeah. yeah so anyway so there's the emphasis on the soil mm. but then a, a lot of it is defined by what you may not do i see so i think so if you forbidden, ask people forbidden things yeah well, things that are forbidden. what is organic farming they'll mm. say well it's farming without the use of herbicides it's without the use of uh, synthetic fertilizers mm-hmm. and without the use of um, kind of harmful pesticides. Those are the, the sort of three. Give me an example of a synthetic fertilizer. What's how is yeah, that? Yeah, well, it would be it's uh, you know it's um, nitrogen kind of in a in a in a pure form. Okay. Um, like a refined exactly thing rather yeah. than just 
cow manure, which was or, a, which was kind of a, originally a byproduct from the armaments industry okay. when they started making bombs and things, and mm-hmm. um, so you would say, oh, my soil needs nitrogen. You just add it in. Then you you know you go and get a whole lot of uh, you know bags of uh, well, it's normally it's potassium as well and, and some other things. Mm-hmm. It's been mined. It's been formulated. Um, you just put it in the soil and uh, you know hopefully the the roots kind of suck it up and then your your vine grows better. Mm. But is it almost like a junk food for the vines? Exactly. That sort of, it just gives it a little burst it, of energy. And it's, it. yeah. it's, it's got a um, it's actually in a, in a salt form as well. Okay. So your your vines end up kind of getting thirsty and therefore taking up you know these these elements. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But it doesn't it doesn't actually improve your soil in the long time. You have to okay. keep on feeding it. Yeah. So um, it's a reliance thing. With with, with yeah. organic, what what we want to do is we want the the, the fungi in the soil, the all the the microbes. Um, we want them to function properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and by them functioning properly, the condition of the soil and the, the access that the roots have to the nutrients in the soil will okay. Im- improve. So just going backwards again, sorry, mm. just to, okay, you've, you've scaffolded the yes. Syrah vineyard. Yes. Um, and what was the results of that first yeah. trial? Yeah, so I think the first trial was we made a separate batch of wine from, mm-hmm. from this vineyard. And there just seemed to be a, a, a purity of fruit and a kind of a freshness in in, in this wine that, that I really so it's evident straight away. Enjoyed. Yeah, it was pretty pretty instant. Did you do some blind sort of double blind? Well, we tests had we had to, other vineyards that we that we had been practicing. Yeah, yeah, look, I wouldn't say it was a hundred percent a scientific trial. Yeah, um, but it was kind of good enough for me to make that jump. Yeah, and so. You rolled that out a little bit more so the next year? So we slowly year, rolled that out and, okay. and eventually... And was that the only thing you changed in those first couple of years? Or were you, did you just did you stop with herbicides and pesticides yeah, straight we, away? Yeah, we started everything? making a little bit of compost on the farm. We, mm-hmm. we, you know, we had a herd of cattle. We started adding that to the soil. Yeah, so those were kind of the main changes. I okay, guess. so when was the last time you used Roundup in the, in the vineyard? Oh, well, I would say um, probably about 2005. So it's been about 13 years. Okay. Mm. And synthetic fertilizers was that about the same time? Yeah, about the same okay. time. So it was a slow rollout for that yeah. time. Yeah, and you're talking about soil health, and that's sort of mm. that's the focus of it. Mm. What other things do you need to do? What other things are you doing now that you weren't doing then mm. Mm. Um, mm. to sort of improve and maintain, well, maintain and improve? Soil yeah. Health? So look, we um, along the vineyards we're planting uh, kind of what we call um, uh, you know just kind of like hedgerows. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the of, end of the vineyards, or, or sort of barriers, yes, yeah, okay. yes. Uh, so we'll make sure that you know if, if you if you've got a vineyard rows are more or less hundred meters long, uh, outside of the block there'll be a row of trees and natural vegetation. Mm. So we've got these corridors all over the farm, which kind of border on a lot of our vineyards. Mm-hmm. And it's look, it's a work in progress. Yeah, we haven't we by no means totally there yet. Yeah, but by doing that, you you bring back. Bird life, insect life. Okay. Um, you want you want that mammals. diversity. You want we want the diversity because mm-hmm. the one thing that that's quite clear is that when you when you move to organics, um, and we found it in in some of our vineyards, you you get uh, you know you, you well you can and we did we got a, problems with some some pests mm-hmm. um, and in our case it was snout nose beetle okay. or calander. All right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, in, be, during the years of using pesticides, you'd wiped out both problem insect as well as the, um, 
the predators. Yes, I see. Yeah. yeah. So you made it a very stale yeah, environment. Yeah, it's kind of a stale environment. And mm-hmm. as soon as you stop doing that, then the pests, you know, come back the quickest in big numbers. Right. And the predators aren't there to help control. Okay. So you need to kind of build up a diversity so that even though you have a pest, you also have a predator. So this diversity is yes. helped. Uh, uh, Within that sort of ecosystem, exactly. the, the, the predators are yeah. within that ecosystem. Yes. For... Yeah. So you, okay. so you have the predators living kind of in these um, hedgerows next to the vineyards. Yeah. So you're Nature providing scripts. an environment for them to exactly. thrive so they can. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's a very sort of macro. Yeah. You've got to things. look at yeah. the, the, the farm as a, yeah. as a whole. And you've got to remember that even though you're farming organically, it, it is still a monocrop. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. you haven't created a forest which looks after itself. So. Yep. There are going to be certain interventions, and, um, mm-hmm. and you, you, you've kind of got to you know, see what you can do. Um, mm-hmm. Look at all the little things constantly. And you talked about cover crops before. Mm. Were you doing cover crops um, yeah, previously? Yeah, so we, we had been doing cover crops. I think mm. the big change in our cover crops is um, we'd, we, we, would, we would do the whole farm, for example, with Kuorok, which is a... So cover crops exist in between the rows and you plant them at the start of winter, so... Exactly, you plant them at the start of winter and the main thing is, you know, they will compete with weeds, they will prevent erosion in the soil Mm -hmm. and they will add green green, um, or add carbon back to the soil. So I think most Organic matter as well? Organic matter, that's what I mean, organic matter. So most conventional farmers do that. Okay. But we've started mixing that up a bit. So we'll do, you know, clovers, we'll do lupins, we'll do ceridella. We've got a whole variety and and we'll kind of rotate them over the years. So if you walk into our vineyards at this time of the year and you look at the cover crop, you'd probably identify at least three or four different um, species. And the sort of last years and two years ago cover crops still still come up. up, Exactly. So it's it's a nice sort of diverse. Yeah, it's a nice diversity. Okay, cool. And everyone yeah. likes fava beans. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Okay. Sure. And how much has that helped? I mean, is that that sort of diversity? I mean, it's hard to isolate one thing, mm, but it seems mm. that that's a conversation that a lot of viticultural or people who are focused on viticulture talk yes. about is their use of cover crops and what they're planting there. And yeah. Is it because it's sort of, it, it's more of a direct relationship to um, the result? Um, or why do you think that's um, so much of a, a conversation? Yeah. yeah, look, I mean, the you know, what someone pointed out to me at one stage, I think makes sense, is that you've, you've kind of got to look at your, your, because you're looking at your farm as a whole, you're not saying this exact spot where the vine is, I'm looking after that. You've actually, by using cover crops, you're looking at the area between the vines mm-hmm. and you, you, you're actually farming the whole surface. Yes. So if you look at what the cover crop is doing is, is it's, for example, something, you know, with a very deep root system is breaking up the soil and the root itself is then adding organic matter to the soil. Mm-hmm. If it's... A, Why is breaking up the soil important? Uh, because you, you want to aerate your soil. You want to have these little channels that, um, you know, earthworms can use. You want oxygen penetration. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you end up with this kind of heavy, dense mass mm-hmm. and the roots just kind of can't get in okay yeah anyway so it's about breaking up the soil um it's about you know adding carbon back it's about uh fixing the nitrogen in the soil um you know there's certain plants that that actually release nitrogen into the soil Mm -hmm. um lupins is one i think yeah lupins is one of them um you know rumnus which grows naturally is is, is Mm -hmm. another one of them yeah 
Uh, so they, they're just all kinds of benefits. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I know. <laughs> it goes on yeah. forever. Yeah. Um, there's obviously, as you say, there's there's um, local weeds as well. Mm. From us, who you've mentioned. Is mm. there any others that are, are really vicious that, that you need to sort yeah. of intervene with in terms yeah, of your look, labor? So I would, on, on my farm, I would say the at Justenberg, the we've got sort of two main problem re- weeds, really, and they mm. hark back to the days where we farmed with dairy cattle. So we had pastures... Um, kukuyu pastures mm-hmm. um, and kukuyu spreads with a with a runner yes, yes. Um, and it's quite an aggressive grass mm-hmm. um, and that you've actually just got to remove with forks because you've got to try and get the roots out okay and then uh, the other big and do you still have that now is that, yeah, yeah you have little patches it's, it's okay. like an ongoing kind of right. war nearly yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, couch grass or, or quick grass mm-hmm. um, it's got a very fine root system, mm-hmm. and that can be very aggressive as well. Okay. And, uh, as in quick growing? or It's quick growing, and it kind of colonizes the whole surface area quite quickly. Right, okay. So it mm. just sort of monopolizes that space. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's the same thing, like a fork or... That's the only... Exactly, yeah. yeah. Right. Look, the cover crops help. Mm-hmm. That's other, you know, cover crops suppress, um, you know, the growth of, of other plants. And mm-hmm. if it's a noxious weed, then it will suppress that. Yep. So as you get, you know, better cover crop um, numbers, mm. your, your quick will, will become less. Mm-hmm. Mm. So between 03 um, and 05, when you, mm, you, know, mm, when you, you, you sort of made that sort of mm. line in the sand of no more, yeah. um, well, that's what it eventuated, maybe you didn't, mm. to now, um, were yields affected? What was going on in terms of the actual yeah. harvest? Yeah, so we found there's been, um, especially in the early years of our conversion um, mm. to organics, we did have a reduction in, in yield, and I found that the um, the vines literally became smaller. There was less vigor, and that was because we had taken away the synthetic fertilizers. Yeah, so they were getting source. less food. Yeah, and because we'd stopped using herbicides, there was more competition from mm-hmm. the weeds. Yeah, so in retrospect, maybe I would have done things a little bit differently okay um, yeah, we'll get to your advice for somebody yeah, who wants to do that and start um, the process now but yes yeah, so it, it was it was quite a battle originally and mm. there were a few times when we said wow this is this is hard work like mm. shouldn't we just you know farm the same way as most other people are doing mm. why do we have to be that less than one percent <laughs> taking the difficult organic route mm-hmm. um, um and certification um, yes there yeah. is obviously there's a I know uh, a fair few people who talk about all farming organically, but they're not mm. certified. Mm. You've gone the route of certification. Mm. Is mm. that because you want it on your label? Is that why? Yeah, or look, do you look so there were, we had some markets where um, the people selling the wine, the importers, the, the sales staff, you know, told us, look, we are talking about it now, but there are some shops and restaurants that are telling us, well, everyone says that. Can you prove it? Uh, so that was uh, part of the reasoning. I think another part was by being certified, it forces you to obviously be aware of the rules mm-hmm. and the exact definitions, which are quite intricate, actually. Yeah, right. So you have to you, and, have, to, you have to pay attention to the details. You, you can't just it say forces you. I'm farming with an organic exactly. viewpoint. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think when you speak to people that are either growing grapes or making wine or selling wine about organics, you'll quickly realize that 
they might be talking about organics, but they're actually not sure what the exact definition is. Mm. Okay. And and, yeah. I, and, I, and they've I, got their own view of what it they've is. Got, they've got their own view of, yeah. of, of what it is. And I, I found that sort of at trade shows and so on, I would mm. be speaking to you know other wine producers around me, and they would mm. be telling me things like, "Yeah, yeah, we farm organically." Yeah, we use a little bit of Roundup every now and again, but you know, we actually we we organic and we only use that every second or third year if it's a problem. Mm. And, and <laughs> yeah, alarm bells are ringing. So. And it's like you know, either you are or you yeah. aren't. Is it sort of? Is it the you can't be a little bit pregnant? You, is that exactly. The yeah. And and I think the consumer has the right to to know that. Mm. Um, Remove the grey area. Exactly, and uh, and so I think it's a term that does need it to be protected. Mm-hmm. And if it's and if it's if it's not protected, it, it can end up kind of being meaningless or being abused or yeah, yeah or yeah. being abused and therefore being meaningless. Yeah, same, same, yeah, yeah. Same, same end result, I guess. Mm, and mm. the certification is there much sort of um, so we you you you're certifying the grapes or the soil or yeah, the wine. Yeah, so we or? we certifying the the actual blocks of of vineyard. Yes. Okay, and mm-hmm. it's a, we have an inspection body, which is uh, the people we use are based in Europe. Okay. And there, there are two aspects to the certification. The one is um, uh, kind of like a self-audit. So we constantly need to send them records of what we're doing in both the vineyard and the winery. Mm-hmm. And what do those records contain? Like, those records are... Um, how much sulfur you're spraying, how much exactly, copper you're spraying. Exactly, how much spraying. sulfur we're we using. How much roundup you're using. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it actually covers every single addition to the, to the both the soil mm-hmm. and to the vine mm-hmm. and to the to the wine in the in the winery it, it follows the whole production process okay so it's all about traceability so, so there's a at what point do they as soon as you seal the bottle is that where the point they they don't care anymore or when um, the grapes come into no, the winery or they actually they pass the part of the traceability is that you've got to Prove how you're storing even your finished product, even the bottle, okay. in our warehouse. Right. Once it leaves my warehouse, then it's you know they can't really follow the process. Yeah. yeah. So there's a, a, a kind of a self audit. So you've got to have a traceability system mm-hmm. that's clear and that they can easily understand. And then at least once a year, they will come and do a physical inspection as well. Oh wow. Of both. Is that at your cost? I'm assuming. Yes, at our cost. Yeah. yeah right. They'll come and do inspect all the vineyards mm-hmm. and inspect the winery and uh, and the analysis. They'll actually mm. you know look at you've got to show them you know laboratory analysis of your both your soil um, in some cases the grapes if they mm-hmm. think that there's a problem area mm-hmm. and your and your wine. Um, so for example, and, and, yeah, okay, part of the process is you've got to identify possible problematic areas. So self-identify. Yeah. So. Yeah. At Jürstenberg, we've, we've obviously got neighbors. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the first question a lot of people ask. Mm. And I've got one vineyard which borders on, on the neighboring property. Mm-hmm. And the certifiers um, have asked me to prove that I'm not getting comp- contamination from the winery. Mm. So physically what we've done is we've shown them we've grown a, a row of trees mm-hmm. to mitigate uh, spraying. It's airborne. Airborne, yeah. yeah, coming across. Yeah. Uh, we've also um, kind of measured the distance, and we've mm-hmm. shown them. Look, it's a fairly 
Just put like a drain in to like divert water or anything no, like that? No, we didn't yeah. have to go to that extent. Okay. Maybe if we're farming with carrots or something, okay. each crop is a little bit different. And then what we do is we have to take samples of the grapes mm -hmm. and um, test them for pests, pesticide residue. Okay. So For the, the sprays? And, yeah. yeah. So we've, yeah. we're kind of showing that we're doing whatever we can to, mm -hmm. to mitigate that risk area. Yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah, super interesting. And obviously, this is all cost to you. Yeah, look, yeah. it's a cost. I mean, there are two aspects to the cost. The one is you've is is more paperwork that we do ourselves, and we've mm -hmm. we've got to spend a lot of time recording absolutely everything we do. Mm -hmm. But I, I think in any modern business, you have to do that anyway. So I think it's added a discipline to what we're doing, which is mm -hmm. which positive. And then you do need to pay for these inspections, so yeah. it does cost. I mean, yeah. especially it, when you're when you're paying in rands. When you're paying in rounds, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. So look, the inspector, when they come over, they won't just do our farm. They'll do you know several other properties okay. at the same time. Cool. But, but yeah, the Rain Rainicure, I'm assuming, is... Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's, yeah. there's Avondale and Rainicure well, yeah, okay, and, yeah. and Leibach and okay. you know, a few others. Yeah. Have you got a little club going? We do have a little bit of a club going. WhatsApp group. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we have a little workshop every now and again. Oh, and we cool. get together and say, well... Mm. I've got this problem in the veneer. Do you guys have any solutions? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So over this time, have you had to change your pruning techniques? I mean, in terms of actual, obviously, your, the organic approach is for the whole block, for the whole farm. Mm, but mm. going back to the vines, did you mm. have to adjust what you were doing there? or? Uh, no, not really. Look, no. I mean, whatever we're doing, we, 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 we're trying to... To, to, to whatever we do, we you know we're trying to make fine wines, mm. uh, <laughs> and there's not much difference with with pruning. Mm. Um, it's not special pruning because it's organic. Mm. Um, I just thought with the with the yields down and, yeah. and less strength, maybe you were uh, uh, limiting. Right. You know. Yeah. Look. So what we're doing is mm. we've um, we've got some vineyards, some of our oldest vineyards with low vigor because of the organic you know, transition and mm. look, we need to give a bit more special attention there, more mm. mulch, more compost. You're right, the pruning is a little bit different, especially with old vines, you do prune a little bit differently. Okay. Yeah. And what does that actually, how does that manifest itself? What yeah. That? So look, you need to, so what happens, especially with the older vines is um, your, your your pruning needs to be dictated by how the vine is, is growing mm -hmm. and the shape of the vine. Okay. So with a young vine, you can, you can say, okay. You can sort of put it into, yeah, a, into a pathway. Exactly. And the old vines are... You're kind of trying to determine the shape of the vine. With the yeah. old vine, you're saying, hey, like, they've made the decision already. The decision's been made. Yeah, this right. is what I've got. And okay. let's just go with it. Yeah, sure. Um, cool. And yeah. irrigation, how does that fit in with uh, with, hmm. with organic? I mean, I, I, yeah. I know you've got a personal view on yes, it, but in yes. terms of the actual certification, does no, it allow for it? No, look, there's, there's no, there's no, mm. in terms of certifying, you can irrigate or not irrigate. Mm. Um, it's not that specific. Okay. Although, you know, you do have to prove that your irrigation water is not kind of contaminated yeah. if you are irrigating. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's that's pretty standard anyway. Mm. Um, and for you, you irrigate your young, young vines and then... Yeah. Is that about right? Am I yeah, that right? Yeah, no, look, the, the drought years that we've been through mm. have had a little bit of an impact on on part of that philosophy. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, You don't want to buy all these little stockies yeah, and then watch them all die. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but yes, I focus my irrigation on, on the young vines mm -hmm. um, so that they can all survive and get well established. And the establishment years. And then the idea mm -hmm. is that later on we can kind of wean them off 
off the okay. off the water. And have you done that with other vineyards uh, so, uh, already, or are you are you in the process? I'm of in the process okay, of right. that. Yeah. yeah. So currently, roughly half of our vineyards are are dry farmed. Mm-hmm. We don't have any irrigation at all ever, mm-hmm. and then the other half um, um, are, are irrigated. Cool. Yeah. And when I say irrigation, it's in some cases it's irrigated once a year. Mm. At most, it's not flood twice. irrigation. Where no, you sort of just no, no, no. <laughs> big wheel opens. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it's normally kind of right at the end of summer, and it's mm. it's really kind of if necessary, just a little bit of yeah, uh, yeah a little life saving. Yeah. Um, you mentioned virus before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming you were talking about leaf roll. Is that what yes. you were talking about? Yeah. Um, how is farming organically, and if it has changed, what you yeah, has it helped, hindered? Mm. So. It, so just maybe explain the leaf yes. roll for so, us as well. So leaf what roll is vi- virus is a, it's kind of a virus, it's in the vine, you, you can't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And it affects the ripening process, it actually mm-hmm. affects the ability of the vine to photosynthesize. Yes, so it's got those lovely russet yes, leaves. Yes, you see that kind of late mm-hmm. in autumn. And that's... And it's, it's a, a mealybug that has is yes, the, and then you is get, the vector? Yes, you, you get vectors, so yeah. they basically these little insects um, kind of suck the juice out of the vine and then go to the, well, the sap, it's mm. <laughs> be a bit more correct, and then yeah. go to the next vine and they'll uh, do the same thing and, mm. and that's how they spread the... But it's a huge problem in, in South Africa, especially in sort of this area, isn't it? So yeah. the Stellenbosch, Powell, uh, Franschhoek, I think, as well. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. everywhere, I wouldn't... Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, and I suppose it, even down in um, Hermanus, down in Milton Ardor, it's a huge e- issue exactly, there as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. There aren't any areas that are kind of exempt from it. And, mm. And there's certain vines that seem to uh, manifest more symptoms than, than mm. others. Yeah. You can so, sort of see, you sort of see it in the wines, resulting wines in red varieties more. Yeah, than white. It sort of affects that sort of that ro- that late ripening period exactly. where you need exactly. the skins to yeah, okay, yeah. develop. Um, so so the, the the way to combat it is um, to basically if there's an affected vine, well, you want to avoid the spread of the virus. Mm-hmm. So, how, how do you do that? And you do that by avoiding by reducing the number of minibugs that you have in your your vine. And how do you do that? And how do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they've got a symbiotic relationship with ants. Oh, right. Yeah. So what what happens is the the minibug excretes um, kind of like a honey-like substance, Mm -hmm. which the the, um, ants feed off. Mm -hmm. um, And then the ants protect the minibug from um, predators. Oh, right. Yeah. How do they do, do the predators so, go so for the ants rather in, than the millibug? If you walk into the vineyards, if you see a vine with millibug, yeah. you'll see a lot of ants as well. Oh, right. Okay. So you tend to have these kind of patches where a few vines next to each other will have... And what is the predator for a millibug? What is the... Yeah, there, there's you... several kind of wasp species that are... Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And how do you... Prom- does it, I mean, do you promote those in mm. your... Or try so, to... so what we... So, look, okay. So what most farmers do is there's a chemical approach. Mm-hmm. And it's just eradicate the ants first and then eradicate the minibug. Mm-hmm. And if you see a vine that's infected, pull it out and replant the next year. Burn it straight away. Exactly, yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, so we don't really have those options. Um, so what we'd use, first of all, as I said earlier, we encourage diversity within our vineyards. Mm-hmm. So the next door to the vineyards and even the cover crops, you know, we have conditions which the predators like. Mm-hmm. So we'll yes. have populations of wasps and um for example, a ladybird mm-hmm. is also a predator. Okay. Um, so we encourage these species to proliferate, mm-hmm. and they will um, reduce the the number of, of millibugs. Mm. We've also two years ago started um, actually buying some predatory wasps 
okay. which we then release in the vineyards. Right. So we do um, inspections. That's not, of, really, that's not really vegan friendly, is it? <laughs> well, you know, they don't, they don't get into the wine. No. So we inspect the vineyards and we mm. identify problem areas mm. and we release... Um, release the wasps. Release the wasps into the burns, these yeah. Yeah, areas <laughs> and, then, and then we monitor the populations of midibug. Okay. And so we've, we've been doing that for two years now. Yeah. And we've actually seen quite a radical reduction oh, that's in, awesome. the, that's in great. the numbers. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to you know the ants, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, mm-hmm. But we have found that just um, increasing the you know the population of predators, there are predators for ants as well. Yeah, and right. That that really is a bit of a problem area though. Is it? That we're yeah, kind okay. of working on still yeah. still in action. Yeah. But it's a funny mm-hmm. thing. You actually find that. Um, Almost the more stressed your vine is due to either deficiencies in the soil or disease, they kind of attract insects and they, oh, right. they, they attract. It's like the, ca- the carrion, the, yeah, the, virtues, the vultures like the are circling. And the minibugs can pick up the stress in the air and they'll hone in. A bit more, so a bit more access just, to the second side because it's breaking up or exactly, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, talk, you spoke about uh, um, disease pressure. Yeah. Um, obviously, you get botrytis on the farm. Mm-hmm. It's one mm-hmm. of your, you know, your signature mm. wines is the the Mabelite Harvest Shannon. Yeah. So that naturally occurs um, with yeah. the humidity end of harvest. Exactly. To so, more or less a degree. Look, we've 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 got some vineyards, or specifically one vineyard, which is on the south facing slope, and it, it tends to get covered by the mist more than the other vineyards. So it sees less sun as well. Yes, yeah. exactly, and yeah. that's where we get our botrytis. Okay. Yeah. Um, and how do you fight? Is that really just more about um, in the other parts of the vineyard where you yeah. don't want that to happen, like the red yeah. vineyards, for example? You wouldn't want botrytis there too much. Yeah, look, is it really just sort of opening up the canopy and the botrytis is very specific to the time of year. Yeah. So we've found that um, we very rarely get botrytis sort of pre-harvest. It's mm-hmm. normally towards the end of harvest, and it's it's kind of in autumn when we've really mm-hmm. picked most of our grapes. Um, so botrytis really isn't an issue in, in our dry wine vineyards. Okay, that's yeah. cool. And I noticed out of the estate wines, because you're also registered as an estate, so mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. obviously grow, make, and bottle mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. estate within boundaries, mm-hmm. um, that, the, that the Noble Late is not certified as an organic wine. Why is yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> we hope so, otherwise <laughs> Yeah. Look, so the, the Noble Late is... Um, the, the, the next vintage will be estate certified. Oh, okay. The, the 18 yeah. is estate certified. So another question is not about being estate certified, it's about being uh, organic certified. Organic certified, yeah. Yes, Sorry, yeah. yes. So I've got a bit of a kind of a Solero on the, on the go, mm. which started in the 2014 vintage. Mm-hmm. We originally didn't certify our noble late because the sulfur requirements or the, the sulfur restrictions are very strict with sweet wines. Okay. And is that universal or it's, is that? Well, it's one of these crazy things where the European appellations of all sweet wine appellations have, um, have kind of, uh, lobbied okay. and they've managed to get exemptions. So <laughs> right. for example, <laughs> yeah. if you are Cote, so the, Cote de Lyon and you're making a sweet Chenin Blanc and you are mm. organically certified, mm-hmm. they have said, okay, this is a specialist sweet wine appellation. You are allowed to use. 350 parts so there's, there's there's sulfur limits on exactly okay and the, and the rules are different for them yeah and in south africa they've that's they've not the said case you just fall into the normal sulfur category yeah so it's been quite and and you get a little bit where rules suit um specific people more than 
Yeah. Because that's where the rules uh, originated. It's like, no, you can't have our benefit. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of how the world works. Yeah. Um, otherwise, if you made that wine, yeah, that, is that the only thing that is... So, look, we have we have changed. So, so in the past, we never used... So, in the past, we didn't certify. Yes. Because we wanted to have the ability to use more sulfur mm-hmm. in the sweet wine in some years. Okay. We didn't always, you know take that uh, we didn't always do that but we did in some years and we've got a Solera system going which is a combination of a whole lot of older vintages which mm-hmm. aren't organically certified and in some years I'll take a small percentage of that Solera and add it to the new vintage okay and as soon as I add that I'm so there's zero tolerance but there's zero tolerance that's like the 15% yeah. or 85% rule it's exactly. a zero tolerance so yeah okay does that make sense yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. yeah. yeah, yeah. okay um, look for me just yeah. like I mean, organics is important. Mm. It's very important. But the most important thing is, you know, I want to put you know my best possible wine into the yeah into the bottle. So you yeah you put that little touch of backroneage wine in yeah, the wine yeah. to make if it better it, at the sacrifice yes. of labelling it organic if it makes it better. Then I'll wine. do it. Pretty I cool. think I've gone through enough hoops, you know. Anyway, um, well, especially if you've got light at the end of the tunnel and you can start um, certifying it as organic. Yeah. Or sorry, as an estate and all that sort of stuff. It's you know, it's obviously from yeah. here and it's there. And, exactly. Um, that's yeah. quite cool. So you are more or less sixteen years in mm. from the very beginnings. Yeah. How last few years have mm. had challenges, mm. obviously, with water shortages and mm. is that a huge challenge for you, or would be wet vintages more challenging? Uh, I think the the drought vintages are actually more challenging okay yeah and, and the reason i say from that a commercial is, point of view or a farming point of view uh, from a farming point of view okay um i found that with our organic farming the because the canopies are a little bit more open now mm-hmm. uh, canopies are smaller and therefore there's kind of more uh, light and wind penetration in the canopies mm-hmm. i'm kind of not not too concerned about years where we'll have um because of the high humidity or high rainfall, we'll have more disease pressure, specifically mm. botrytis and mildew. I think we've mm. kind of got to a stage where I can control that quite well. Okay. And I also know that in those years, uh, we tend to have better acidity. Uh, so I would rather have that than a very dry year where there's mm. super amounts of stress and less acidity in the wines. Mm. Uh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, I, I know it makes the farming a bit trickier, but I yep. think it's better for the wine. Yep. Obviously, I don't want to flood. I don't want the vineyard washed away. Mm. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> pretty, 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 pretty short-term mm. moves. <laughs> and just, I've, I've got two more questions. Yeah. So advice for somebody who's yeah. who wants to farm organically and wants to make that. Yes. You said you've made a lot of mistakes. Oh, not a lot, but you would have done it differently. Yes. Um, what what advice would you give somebody who's in yeah. a similar area to you, sort of like a dryish rolling hills? Sort yes, of, yes. Um, what what advice would you yeah. be giving? So them? look, I think when we started, we had very little uh, kind of knowledge of of how the processes would work. It was almost like, okay, this is this is what I want to do. It's the right thing to do, and let's just jump in and and, and do it. Um, and I think the. Um, I think that probably the advice I could give is, you know, on the vineyard side is um, you, you have to have a very clear and practical way of controlling your your, your weeds, mm-hmm. on, especially on under the vines or what we call the bunkie. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that means you've got to invest more in a team of people that can do it by hand, mm-hmm. then you've got to make sure you have the money that, that you can pay those guys and... Yeah. 
and do it really well. Just a quick question yes. on that scoffling by hand, weeding yes. by hand. You've got 30 hectares of vines. Yes. How many people does it take? How long to do that? Yeah. Okay. Well, look, now we have, uh, we've invested in a, in a plow that can vine, that can, other one that goes around yes, the, the vines. Yes, that can go around okay. the vines. Yeah. Um, it's called an undervine, undervine plow. Mm-hmm. So the, I would say you've got to either in, invest in, in the machine or in yeah. the manpower. So before you had the machine, how long was it taking you? Uh, look, I mean, we, we'd have a team of about 12 people and it would take four days for them to do sort of one hectare, just about oh, wow. three days, maybe okay. maybe three days. Yeah. So look, and, and you'd, you'd kind of prioritize certain blocks. Yeah. So there's some blocks you'd say, look, it's particularly going bad into spring, yeah. it looks like it's okay, mm. the vigor's there and the weed problem isn't great. Yeah. These vine, young vines, let's mm. focus on these. So it's, or it's, it's 36 man days per yeah, hectare, look, I mean, roughly? You're kind of asking me off the top of my head now. No, no, no that's that fine. Number, but, yeah. totally, but it's, but that's, I, I that's, just know that's, it was that's like a lot right. of people and it was yeah. pretty difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes the machinery pretty attractive, yeah. even at the expense. And, yeah. yeah. So you, either what you can do is you could take a, if you're starting off, maybe focus on a smaller area. Yes. And just make sure you get that right. Mm-hmm. Or else just make sure you have put aside a bit of cash or borrowed a bit of cash so that you can deal with that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I think whether you conventional, organic or biodynamic, mm. my view is that your, 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 your vine can't handle too much competition. A little bit of competition is fine, mm-hmm. but your vine has to survive to get grapes no matter what your yeah, philosophy you is. You can't lose sight of it. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. can't lose sight of that. And how much of it is, um, how much do you have to plan ahead for yeah. farming? I mean, you can't obviously just decide one day that, oh, we need some compost. Where are we going to get that from? Yes, no. Yeah. So the compost is, a, is also a major issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so we in the process of, of trying to um, increase the, the animals that we have on the farm so mm-hmm. we can have more manure and therefore make, comp- make more compost. Mm-hmm. So I think the ideal is that you can make all your compost needs. Yes. But... The reality is you you can't do that starting off. Um, so planning so, is yeah. So for thirty hectares, how much compost are you using per annum? Do you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually. I would say. I mean, look at or the per moment. Hectare maybe at the moment, easier, we then. we also using a bit of a pelletized compost product, which mm-hmm. is organically certified, mm-hmm. um, which maybe isn't ideal, but it's. Yeah. Um, and we're using about ten to twelve cubic meters of compost. On little areas that we, yeah, that we mm. we think yeah, need it. Okay. Uh, but I'm also mulching. Okay. Right. Yeah. So we're using about 1,200 bales of straw every year. Yeah. Right. Okay. Which is only about 15% of the farm. Right. Yeah. Okay. And again, you're sort of triaging on what vines or exactly. what vineyards that goes where, on. Where it's, yeah. yeah. Is it the young vines more than the old vines? For us, or? it's the young vines. Yeah, yeah. just to help yeah. the water retention on the exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm. That's some, some good stuff. And then just, if someone's talking about organics, mm. um, and you think, mm. well, I don't think they're actually organic, or they just want <laughs> to just drop the name, or they want to, what sort of things do we look out for in their practices, or what they're saying? Obviously, <laughs> saying we use Roundup occasionally is, uh, <laughs> is one big thing. But Yeah, I mean, well, the first thing you can, I mean, if you, not everyone's in the winelands, but I mean, mm. if you, driving around you can you can just look at a vineyard and you can especially this time of the year 
you can immediately see where the herbicides are being used or not. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And what would and that look like? What would that look like? Well, yellow, yellow growth. Either the, the whole surface will be yellow or mm. brown. Okay. So either you can see the soil or dead plant material. Mm-hmm. Or under the vines, you'll mm. see um, kind of a bare, a bare strip. A little bit of a moon. Yeah. Lunar landscape. Yeah. You'll, there, yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll see that. So that's kind okay. of a, a sure sign. Um Mm. That's kind of the easiest thing, I guess, to to see. Yeah. I mean, look, and I'm not, yeah, and I think a lot of people are are kind of doing a combination, which is good. So yeah. They, which is better than nothing. You know, they are sort using of herbicide some practices under the vine. Yeah. And then they're using compost instead of synthetic fertilizers. So. Yeah. 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 Mm. So they're borrowing some practices and mm. yeah. But for you, yeah, organic is a very Look, in a, it, 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 as you say, you're either organic or you're not. Yeah, no, in, right. in an ideal world, mm. I would prefer if people, you know, want to claim they're organic, then just kind of get certified. Sure, it is expensive for some businesses, maybe mm-hmm. starting off, but mm-hmm. I think most even small wineries have got enough. Do you get economy of scale with it? I mean, is it is it just as expensive to um, uh, to certify much. five hectares yes. as it is for yeah, 60? Yeah, because your inspection takes as long and... Okay. Yeah. And is that the major cost yeah, of the certification the process? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's me pretty much okay. out of questions. Is there anything that we've missed that you need to, that you'd like to get across about organic or organic in Yeah, I think the one thing I would, I would add is it's, I think in general, um, it's quite an open kind of community. And yeah, at any stage, you know, we try and we like to share information. So if anyone needs to would like to discuss something, get some ideas, then you know I, mm-hmm. I'm definitely more than open, you know, in doing that. Mm-hmm. And how do people yeah. find you? Just on the interwebs? Is that the easiest yeah. place? Yeah, for sure. Justinberg.coza. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Joel Mobek, thank you very much. I appreciate thank it. You. Cheers, okay. man. Thank you. Cool.